you're in Seattle, Seattle. And you need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to rodandbouncedown.com. Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. <laughs> hey, you guys. What's going on? Welcome to episode 542 now of the Ron and Don Show. And we are live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, let's talk about this. Let's talk about our stuff. No, not that stuff. This stuff over here. Yeah, all this stuff in your house. Why do we all have so much stuff? A realtor told the other day they think they know why. We'll find out if you know why. Also, uh, straight ahead, we got to talk about Phil Knight, the shoe dog, thinking about legacy, new movie out that's kind of around him and his story. Great book, Shoe Dog. You should read it if you haven't. He's a great storyteller himself. Anyway, he is about to donate an astronomical amount of money in order to save Portland, Oregon. Uh, is Seattle next? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. As many of you know, Ron and I used to work in terrestrial radio, and we were fired a number of times. Uh, sometimes when our ratings were great, sometimes when they weren't. Oftentimes when our ratings were great, either we wanted too much money, we couldn't come to some negotiation, or the station had sold, and maybe they had some other talent on their roster, maybe that they wanted to use instead of us. Or sometimes it's just not a good fit, it's not a good format fit. So we're familiar with what happened with Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson the other day because it's the way it is in broadcasting and in radio we call it getting the box when you get the, when you when you get the box and typically you're given the box it's on uh, your last day uh, before the holidays so you typically get fired you're given the box on a Friday and then you're told not to come back to work and that we'll be in touch and then someone stands there and these are people that have loved and trusted you your colleagues sit there and watch as you're packing up their box because it's kind of a message that the radio managers are sending to all your other colleagues. Hey, you know what? We want you to feel the pressure, too, of ratings and revenue because we might hand you the box as well. What's always interesting to Ron and I is when we've been let go, like at Cairo, it was then our managers were let go and their boxes were handed to them. One is now an account executive somewhere and the other person has been completely driven out of the business. So, And then the invitations come to come back to Terrestrial Radio for Ron and I as that format's dying. And why would we do that when we have almost 2 million people now that have played, hit play, on the Ron and Don podcast. So let's talk about this, though, a little bit. Tucker Carlson, what's your reaction? Ron, I don't see this as a newsman that got fired. Uh, I see this as a racist that dressed up as a newsman. That was playing a part that got fired, who is now going to cash in because Fox is still going to pay him $20 million a year for the next couple of years. He's going to go out on a podcast. He knows who to, who to pander to. He'll do what Glenn Beck did. Glenn Beck left making $10 million a year on Fox. Now he makes $100 million a year on The Blaze. It's subscription-only. Bill O'Reilly has done the exact same thing. In fact, it was Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly, who I listened to this morning on a podcast, talking about what was going to happen with Tucker Carlson, and they both agreed that he was going to get bloody rich uh, as a result of what happened to him. Uh, well, I, I sort of, just as a human being, I'm I'm kind of enjoying watching Tucker Carlson get pile-driven, and I didn't really know why i mean i know why but i didn't know how to articulate why and i was listening to some uh, uh, a podcast the other day and 
forgive me uh, a little forewarning here. I'm going to say a naughty word. So if you have a 10 year old in the car, uh, hit pause right now. But they, these two guys were discussing the difference between a liar and a bullshitter. And I'd never heard, evidently there's this famous book called On Bullshitting that I've never read, but they were talking about this and they and they, they were referencing former president Donald Trump, but I think it also applies to Tucker Carlson. So, and they said there's a very important distinction and, and, and I believe that Tucker Carlson was a bullshitter. And so therefore I am happy that he is no longer given the platform that he has. So a liar and the differentiator that they make on this is a liar knows what the truth is and they are deliberately constructing something that they want it to appear as if it's true. So in other words, they are, um, they're in on the, in on the joke, if you will, not a joke, but they're in on the lie. So they know the truth and they're deliberately not telling the truth in order to meet whatever their ends are. A bullshitter has no regard for the truth, has no regard for facts. They will say whatever needs to be said in that moment to further their agenda. And so it doesn't, for a bullshitter, it doesn't matter what the truth is. It only matters to them what, how they can play any given situation or even any given piece of information to their advantage. And so people like that, I just don't have... Uh, any sort of appetite to be around them, and, and when you see what what came out of the uh, the case for Dominion voting machines on Tucker Carlson, is the guy is a bullshitter. He will say whatever he needs to say in the moment to put dollars in his pocket and to put eyeballs on his show. What, what, what do you? What do you? What do you? For those that don't know, what do you say? Like for what? for instance, he in in private emails he would say that he absolutely despises Donald Trump hates him with a passion, can't wait for him to go away. And then publicly, he would uh, do everything in his power to keep the Trumpistan people watching his show. He would, sh- he would, and he would sh- talk he would about show up to rallies. He would introduce show up Trump to rallies. rallies. He would uh, pander to him on the air. Oh, yeah. He would talk about he would talk about the voter fraud and the stolen election and all of these things. And so people that are bullshitters, I found and, and I was so happy to hear this description. I was like, that's it. Like, forgive me on this, but at least with a good liar, I can kind of respect the game. You know what I'm saying? Like a liar, someone that's a really great liar, they, at least they get it. Like they, they understand what's happening and they are, um, like, like for instance, this is a a bad example. Maybe it's not, but you know, I played the game of poker. So lying is a part of the strategy of poker. Like if I can get you, if I have a horrible hand, but through my betting action or whatever, if I can put enough pressure on you to fold the winning hand, that's great strategy. So I lied with the objective of winning money and I put you to a test and you, you know that I could be lying. So I'm not hiding the fact that I'm lying, but you don't know if I'm lying or not. And if you end up folding, I won through deception. I have respect for that because we both know what game is being played. You know that I could be lying. I know that I could be lying. I'm not pretending like I'm, you know, doing anything other than playing the game to the rules. But then to your point, though, is deception different than an outright lie? I I could defend both. Sure. But but a bullshitter, a bullshitter doesn't care about truth. 
They don't care about if there's facts or not. Because they're they sociopaths. The, all they care about is what do I need to say right now? Yeah. Do, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Doesn't matter if it's if it's wealth. Doesn't matter if it harms people or not. Doesn't matter if you know. And so for Tucker Carlson to go down in this way, I absolutely love it because I, I think it's a comeuppance to him. He's already been fired at CNN. Already been fired at MSNBC. Now he's been fired at Fox. And so you're right that he could go and find this little enclave, but the influence goes away. So while they'll bilk a smaller audience for money and have no qualms about bilking And they'll make more money and less influence. I agree with that. More money. More money, less influence. And for guys like him and guys like Bill O'Reilly, it was the power and the influence. Sure. Like money's important. It's the same thing of, you know, it's like, why did Bill Cosby rape women when he could, if he wanted to have an affair, he's Bill Cosby. Because it's about the power. It's about the influence. It's about the control. And so the same thing with a guy like Tucker Carlson or Bill O'Reilly. I don't know much about Glenn Beck, so I can't speak to him. But um, those two guys, it was about the power and control. And it's about the influence. It's about It's about having the bully pulpit. Yeah, Glenn Beck, rock and roll DJ, didn't get great ratings. He went through an addiction phase in his life, religious phase, which I think he's still in. And then, and then he started spinning conspiracy. He was the first guy to really start spinning conspiracies. I remember the the chalkboard. Yeah, <laughs> and he really started taking a run at Bill O'Reilly, and Bill O'Reilly didn't like it. So it's interesting that they have each other now on on their on their podcast together. But it was it was it was hey, th- this guy is going to overtake O'Reilly's audience with all his conspiracy. And even though Bill O'Reilly is pretty crazy himself, he's not a conspiracy theorist. And Glenn Beck jumps in that end of the pool and never comes out since he's gone to the blaze and started that he's tried to take it a little more mainstream and has admitted that, that he has gone down the conspiracy road. But again, he's, he's making 10 to a hundred times the money he was making with that. That was the great platform for him. And the difference is, you know, and I saw BJ Shea, he and I are going to go have lunch from KSW next week. And he put something on, hey, when you're in the business, you lose your job. Uh, this is always hard on people. It, it, it's hard on people when you don't have, a, have the ability then to launch off another platform or you're not guaranteed the $20 million a year from Fox the way that Tucker Carlson is. So someone in a radio job, a lot of times you get 90 days and you're done and good luck going out there and find another radio job. I don't feel bad for Don Lemon or Tucker Carlson. I think they'll be fine. I, I, I think Don Lemon, though, and from CNN, Tucker Carlson, are two different human beings. Uh, and I just, I, I have a lot of disdain for people like Tucker Carlson who dress up as journalists and play journalists. Uh, and then they, they basically peddle hate a lot of what they're peddling. They don't believe. And then they take uh, other people's money that, and you just, you see it, you, you see it clearly when you look at all the people, what is it? 400 plus people so far that are gone to prison because of the January, uh, six riots and i would ask you who started all this and where are those guys and they're out on the campaign trail right now trying to become the president of the united states yeah we will see you on the other side hey run and don here for les schwab been saying that for like a decade and a half and get this how about a quick fact you guys did you know the services at les schwab they offer help yeah for your tires but then they do other stuff too how about brakes have an alignment uh, you want to do some steering? I think that that's important. They can help with that. How about your 
suspension. Yeah, Les Schwab, they have expertise in all different areas. So when you're ready to hit the road, you want to stop by Les Schwab Tire Center. And guess what? Right now, you're going to save lots of money during their spring tire sale. Biggest sale of the year. Save up to $175 when you buy four select tires with Les Schwab financing. And best of all, when you buy your tires at Les Schwab, you also get their best tire value promise. What does that mean? They'll take care of your flats for free, free rotations, free rebalancing, and so much more. I just love the word free. Schedule an appointment at LesSchwab.com or stop by any location. That's Les Schwab, where they've been doing the right thing since when? Let's say it together, 1952. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's Don here with my good friend, Ron. You may have heard of us. Anyway, you probably haven't heard of her, Ron. We have a brand new team member team ron and don real estate right yeah her name is mara and mara just left one of the big tech firms uh, and now she's doing real estate mara what was it like dealing with folks in tech and specifically with housing in seattle yeah the housing market in seattle can be a little bit tricky um seattle has a lot of very different and great neighborhoods so having somebody that can help you find the right neighborhood for you and what you like to do um, is really important when coming to a new city, especially when you're trying to meet people who have similar interests or are close to the activities that you like. Um, so what I want you to do is if you are, uh, maybe you're not in tech or not moving around, if you know someone who is or their kid is or they're trying to leapfrog from tech company to tech company, Mara's on our team now. She's an expert in this specific area. So if you would like to do a sit down with us and meet her, you can go to ronadonsitdown.com. That's ronadonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. I read a book uh, a couple of years ago I told you about called Shoe Dog. And it's basically Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. It's his story. And what I didn't know, I knew his, his connection to Steve Prefontaine, the University of Oregon, uh, Coach Bowerman. I didn't know that he was a track star for the University of Oregon. I didn't know that. Because uh, a lot of times people are talking about Steve Prefontaine. They're not talking about him. Uh, and it, it, what's really incredible in the book is you you learn that he never wanted to make Nike shoes. Uh, he was just going over to China. He's going to the same glue factories where like tigers were made. And that's what he was. He was bringing tigers back to the States and he was a tiger salesman. That's what he was selling through his company. All of a sudden they took the contract away from him and he's like, well, I still got to sell shoes. So he went over to the same factories where they're making a six, which are tigers. And he's like, well, I'll just make this thing called Nike, read the book and uh, you'll learn how he came up with the Nike name and the Nike brand. What really changed that company, though, is when he when when someone approached him with a crazy off the wall idea that was that ultimately became Nike Air, uh, and that changed everything not only for Nike uh, but it forever changed shoe lore in the way that we wear shoes and what we wear shoes for. And that that's when also athletic shoes, as they got more comfortable, became walking shoes. Right? You look at Hoka's right now, and I started wearing Hoka's. A number of years ago, I would go on these trail runs and you wouldn't see any, or sometimes you see older people wearing those. And everybody I know, I'd be telling them about Hocus. And evidently they listen because everywhere I go now, young people, older people, trail run, you look at a hospital, look when people are traveling, people are wearing the Hoka One. So the Hoka Uno. So that shoe has really made a difference. Anyway, the, the new have you watched the, the new movie? I haven't seen the new movie. It's uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon doing air and, and Matt Damon plays... Phil Knight, yeah, and uh, no, Matt Damon plays 
the shoe guy, and it's um, Ben Affleck plays Phil Knight. And then, the, and, and then it's, the, it's the Michael Jordan Air, Air Jordan story. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet without, without without the character Jordan in it, which so you can be more focused on these guys. So it has to do with an aspect of this book. So so I'm interested in seeing that. Phil Knight, nonetheless. I mean, one of the reasons I have great football players there because of a great stadium, great weight room. Uh, he flies in on his helicopter and he says, "Hey, you know what? While you play at the University of Oregon, we got eight different helmets, we got hundreds of different uh, uniform changes, and you'll never wear the same uniform once. And sure enough, or twice. And sure enough, when you turn on and you watch football, I don't know that I've ever seen the same uniform at the University of Oregon. They like to really, tr- they like to really change it up. So he made all this money. He made all Billions this money from Nike, and now he's saying, I'm giving." $400 million of it back to the city of Portland so we can rebuild. Ron, is this even possible? Well, it's, it's, it goes beyond that. There's a section of Portland, and most towns, uh, large cities have this section. There's a section of Portland that was predominantly the black part of town. And so, um, as luck would have it, if, if you can hear my irony there, it also happened to be the part of town that we're like, Hey, maybe we should, uh, condemn 300 houses and we're going to put this new athletic complex in here. Um, and then we're going to, you know, urbanize this area and basically push out once it became a valuable piece of real estate and became gentrified. Then the historically black ownership in there was, was marginalized and pushed off to the side. So it's that part of town. And so what Phil Knight did is he's teamed up with some other organizations and said, I will give $400 million to this project to revitalize this part of town because uh, in a sense i'm acknowledging the fact that you know this has been a part of town that has not been treated fairly over the years and you know there's all sorts of studies and things done on on these neighborhoods and and what happens to them so it's interesting to me um when you start to think about people that have this many billions of dollars because on the one hand $400 million is a tremendous amount of money. On the other hand, when you look at the amount of money he's given to the University of Oregon, amount of money he gave to Stanford, the number of billions of dollars that he has, um, for a guy of that wealth level, it's it could be a rounding error if Nike has a move in their stock price in the day. So it's a a lot of money, and I applaud him for doing that. But you, you think about how could you really leverage this and what is the real goal? I hope that it's, it's a step in the right direction, but he's clearly in my mind, it's a legacy move at the very end. He, he spent the vast majority of his time um, being concerned just about athletes, athletes and colleges. And I've toured the university of Oregon facilities. It is incredible. It's up there with any professional facility that you and I've ever worked at. Uh, when you go into the training room and into the different buildings, the basketball building, the football building, the track, all that stuff, it's incredible. And so that's where his money's probably gone, but I don't want to, I think his heart's in the right place. It'll be interesting to see how this happens because in one way it's like okay the rich white guy comes in and wants to help the black neighborhood but he's giving the money to an organization run by a black woman so i'm i'm hoping that it gets disseminated uh, in a way that actually does benefit that neighborhood. Yeah, the hardest thing is a lot of these old buildings that that look really cool, they do have to be torn down. I was I was in a building today that has i think 47 apartments in it in Capitol Hill 
And this is a building that just kind of sold for pennies on the dollar. And the reason it sold pennies on the dollar is how you, you would have to buy this building for cash. There's a lot of vacancy in this building. And then the building has not been, it's a brick building and the building has not been retrofitted in any way for earthquakes. So it has, you, you buy that building, you start taking on new leases, you have to retrofit that building. And what happens in an earthquake with an old building like that is the walls, the brick walls fall away and the floors drop down. You ever see that where the floors just drop one on top of another on top of another? It's because the walls peel away and the floors drop. So what you have to do to retrofit it is you have to go in and put steel beams through the outside walls and into those floors, and you have to reconnect the building. Uh, and it is very, very expensive to do that. So sometimes in neighborhoods where they're like, yeah, we, 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 we shouldn't tear this down. We should save these buildings. Financially, it, 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 it's actually better to tear them down and, and, and build something that you feel like is going to be safer. Because since we haven't had a big earthquake around here in a while, a lot of people aren't talking about that. But then we have one, and all of a sudden everybody's talking about earthquakes and that Rainier is still a live volcano, and then we'll look on the front page of the Seattle Times, and it becomes gloom and doom, right? It's really important if we're going to go in and re- rebuild these parts of the community that we rebuild them correctly so that they don't die from earthquakes. And of course, we see this when we look overseas, storms come through. We look at Haiti, Puerto Rico. You see it where the walls fall away, right? And everybody below those floors just crush them. So, and $400 million to do that in Portland, Oregon, that's a drop in the bucket. But hey, at least somebody put a drop in the bucket. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, you hear about them all the time. We say, why, Braun, haven't people out there switched to Mitch yet, right? Yeah, Mitch Weeks joins us. you got a really cool program right now because we know rates are a little high, but they're not always going to be high. No, rates are supposed to drop within the next year. So we instituted a great program. It's called Date the Rate. So you're going to buy a house now at these relatively high rates. And when rates drop within the year, you can actually refinance for cheaper. You can save half a percent on your loan. And what that means is you can use that money to buy down your rate. On an $800,000 loan, that can save you up to $90,000 over the life of the loan. Think of what you could do with an extra $90,000. That's great. 90, 90 grand over the life of the loan. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you? All right, so he's Mitch Weeks. You can find him at Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. Go there right now, set up a time, do a Zoom call, switch to Mitch. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. I had a realtor the other day. He's on a new team. They're a new, new realtor. And I said, hey, what is what is the number one thing that you're noticing uh, in the market? Uh, because I became a realtor at a very different time, right, than it is right now. And so there's a lot of young realtors out there that are either walking away from the business because they don't know how to make it work, or they're thinking to themselves, you know, maybe I'll keep my primary job and I'll just do this as a side gig, which is the problem sometimes when you run into realtors that are treating it like a side gig. Yeah, you don't want the biggest investment of your life to be treated like a sidekick. So if you need us, just reach out. I'll put a plug in there for us. Run it on sitdown.com. We're doing lots of sit-downs today. This is the thing she said, though, Ron. She goes, how come Americans have so much stuff? Why do we have so much stuff? She's lived in other places around the world, lives in places in Europe, and she's like, you know what? 
people around the globe are not married to all their stuff like we are. And I had to agree with her. Like we walk into a lot of homes that have a lot of stuff. You've traveled a lot. Is that a uniquely American problem? And uh, what should we do about it? I don't know if it's uniquely American. I think it's a spectrum. Like America's definitely out there on the spectrum. And, you know, I, I think about this historically in the post-World War II boom. There was uh, all the GIs coming home, the expansion of America. There became this fascination with how do we become more efficient? How do we open up free time? How can we make things more convenient for people? And so you, you had like the invention, all these inventions and in culture tilted towards convenience and solving problems. And so concurrent with that, within 10 years, you had Madison Avenue, basically Mad Men uh, invented of like, how are we going to market these things? We're trying to build our economy up. And at the time, it was of national implications that we had to be the if we were the biggest economy in the world we would be more powerful than the russians we'd be more powerful than any other country and so there was a patriotism attached to go out and buy stuff make your life more convenient free up this time and become an affluent country let's raise the middle class because in that way we will be world dominant so i think it's sort of baked into our culture of we're the land of plenty. We are Americans. We deserve the best and we're going to make the best. And for a long time, we were developing and producing stuff like cars or whatever. And they were the best in the world. They were the gold standard. And so it became a point of pride to say, and, and this doesn't happen anymore, but when you and I grew up, oh, Don's uh, uncle got a Cadillac. And it was like, that was considered, it's the finest thing you could buy. Like, screw a Mercedes or a Honda. Like, he's got a Cadillac. American-made, this is a great car. It's a status symbol to a, a acquire something like that. And I think it it sort a of... Cadillac Eldorado. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it kind of went on steroids and, and went out of control a little bit to where now, you know, you can see every product ever you could ever conceive of uh, being marketed to you on your Instagram feed. And we all fall prey to it sometimes where it's like, maybe I do need a potato slicer that does ninth, you know, like you, you'd buy into that. What do you think it is? I, I think it's a mindset. I'm going to share this in such a way. I'm going to use the word poor and wealth. And, and, and I want to be really careful about those words. Cause sometimes people you're, you might be, you might be born into a wealthy family, but 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 still have a poor mentality when it comes to wealth. So this is really just about a mindset. And I had a friend challenge me because uh, they've done really well in their life, really great, great. I, I, I just look at them as, as parents and I look at them as entrepreneurs. I look at them as citizens, uh, traveling experience, the way they share things with people. It's, it's like I'm big fans of them and this couple in the way that they've lived their lives. So, and, and I, I was chatting with my friend one day and we were on a trip and he was saying, you know, he was really, he was, as you become more of an entrepreneur, as you leave the radio life behind, you become more of an entrepreneur. He said, I would just really challenge you about your mindset. And he says, you know, sometimes when you grow up in a family and like, like my family would, would I guess be considered lower, middle class and then after my father left definitely below the poverty line and and you you have this 
poverty mentality of when I grow up and I can get it, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that watch. I'm going to get that car. I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to acquire, acquire, acquire. Sometimes I think it's good for a kid to have a goal going, yeah, I'm going to get a car and then I'm going to use that car because that car's going to take me to work and, and take a girl out or a boy out, new experiences and all that. But sometimes when, when it is just, when we're around people that are just acquiring things and I see this sometimes, you'll, you'll drive by a really ratty apartment complex and you'll see some dude out there that has a $120,000 Harley Davidson truck, right? It's like you're driving around this truck but the truck is not an asset. It's a liability that is now forcing you. You can't go out and buy something because you bought this truck. It's depreciating in value. There's no, really no tax implications, uh, maybe unless you're using it for work. But it's a really nice truck, so it doesn't look like they're using it for work. And, and, and so you shoehorn yourself into a place now where you're having to work two or three jobs. You don't even have a laundry facility in your own apartment. And you're just working to pay off that truck, pay off that truck, pay off that truck. And about the time you pay off the truck, you see the boat. And now you got to have the boat. But as soon as you have the boat, now you have the jet skis to pull the boat. And now you got the jet skis. The boat. And he was talking to me. He's like, did you own real estate before you owned a boat? I'm like, no. Did you own real estate before you owned jet skis? No. Did you own real estate before you owned snowmobiles? I'm like, no. He's like, you know what? That's a mentality. That doesn't work and serve entrepreneurs really well. He said, when I see a down payment for a truck, I see a down payment for a piece of property. And what is a piece of property? Well, I'm going out and changing my mindset. And I'm going to tell myself, I'm only going to acquire assets and not liabilities. Assets and not liabilities. And then I'm going to use those assets to go ahead and leverage myself when I get to a place. Now I can buy 10 boats. Now I can buy 10 jet skis. Uh, or I could buy more assets. And that's really true. When you, when, you, when, when, when you think about assets versus liabilities, a lot of the liabilities just end up filling our driveways, our garages, our drawers, our hampers. It's ridiculous. But when you say, I'm really going to be focused less on stuff and more on assets, and sometimes seeing those assets as experiences, uh, Life can be pretty amazing. I also think we're very nostalgic in America, and the nostalgia makes us hang on to stuff because we want to give this stuff to other people. I know that when, when I had my son, every day I'd go to the door, and there'd be another bag of books. There'd be another bag of clothes. And now I have books and clothes that somebody didn't want, but they were kind enough to give it to me, but a lot of it I don't want either because some of it, another man's treasures, another man's junk. And, and now I'm like, someone just gave me all their baby clothes and their baby books. What do I do with these now? And you feel like you got to hang on to them. And it never stops. <laughs> it just keeps going. So think about that. The, the, the mentality of assets, right, versus liabilities. Uh, and we will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need us, we're here as your broadcasters, your real estate agents, and also your friends. How can they reach out? Yeah, you can email me directly if you're thinking about real estate, and a lot of people are thinking about it. Sometimes life 
comes at you fast and you go, oh, crap, we got to do something with this piece of property. Uh, and, and that's when you need to call us. So you can call me, you can email me, ron at ronandon.com, or you can set something up online if you just like to go straight to the website, ronandonsitdown.com. Yeah, you can sign up for the newsletter too. We don't sell your information. And don't forget, we are meeting with a lot of people that want to sell their homes right now. Now's a real good time to sell you guys. It just is. And if you're out buying, yeah, they say the interest rates may go up two more times this year. So we're seeing buyers, sellers in the spring market now. The springboard has arrived. And yeah, it is uh, great out there right now for buyers and sellers. Unbelievable time, you guys. Ron and Don, sit down.com if you're looking to acquire assets and not liabilities. All right? Yeah. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 543. Is that right? You're listening to the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Only.